Hey, Prime members, you can binge eight new episodes of the Mr. Ballin podcast one month early and all episodes ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. In 2019, a family of four moved into a new house in a quiet suburb in Hawaii. They loved it until they discovered the dark secret their house held. This story is easily one of the spookiest true stories I have ever come across. But before we get into today's story, if you're a fan of the strange, dark, and mysterious delivered in story format, and you've come to the right podcast because that's all we do, and we upload twice a week, once on Monday and once on Thursday. So if that's of interest to you, when the Amazon Music Follow button calls your restaurant to place a very long and complicated order for delivery, wait until they've totally finished telling you the order before telling them that their house is out of your delivery range. Okay, let's get into today's story. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. In 2018, James and Brittany Campbell jetted off to the very famous Little Vegas Chapel, which is located just off the Las Vegas, Nevada Strip, and they got married by a man dressed up as Elvis Presley while the couple stood in front of a pink Cadillac. While their wedding was certainly not traditional by Western standards, it somehow seemed fitting for the newlyweds. After all, they were not a traditional couple. Brittany, who was 36 years old, was extremely energetic and outgoing and bubbly, and she even referred to herself as being a little crazy. As for James, who was 35 years old, he was reserved and quiet and kind of analytical and would rarely act on impulse. And on top of these two just being complete and total polar opposites, they had actually dated previously back in high school and it had not worked out. They had broken up and gone their separate ways, not expecting to see each other again. But nearly two decades later, they randomly reconnected, and this time they had something major in common. James was a single father of two young boys, and he was desperately looking for a partner to not only share his life with, but someone who would come in and help him raise his kids. As for Brittany, she too was single, and she really wanted to be a mother. And so the timing of their reunion was perfect. 
A year after the wedding, James, who was serving in the U.S. Navy, was given orders to spend a couple of years working out of a naval base in Hawaii. So the family of four, along with their little cat named Mr. Franklin, packed up all of their things and left the mainland of the United States, and they landed in Honolulu, which is the capital of Hawaii. The family would move into a modest two-story home located just a couple of minutes drive away from the airport. The house was located at the end of a cul-de-sac in this very quiet and safe neighborhood that really didn't look like the type of neighborhood you would expect to see on a beautiful Hawaiian island. It really just kind of looked like typical American suburbs with all these cookie-cutter two-story houses right up next to each other on either sides of the road, and out front everyone's got a white picket fence. But for the Campbells, who had never lived in Hawaii before and were used to living on mainland America, it was actually kind of nice to move into this neighborhood and have it look kind of familiar. And so before long, the Campbell family loved their new Hawaii house. That is, until they learned their house had a dark secret. It all started in June of 2019, so not long after the Campbells had moved to Hawaii. Brittany, she had to go into the garage to get something. Now, their garage was attached on the left side of their house if you were looking at their house from the street, and there was a door on the first floor of the house that led into the garage. And so Brittany, she walked across the first floor, she opened that door in the house, she went into the garage, she flipped on the light switch, and what she saw all over the garage made no sense to her. They still had a bunch of moving boxes that they had not unpacked since they'd only been in Hawaii for a matter of weeks. And so all these unopened boxes, they had just kind of stacked up inside of the garage. But when Brittany had turned the lights on and looked into the garage, she saw nearly all of those boxes had been toppled over and lots of the contents inside of these boxes had spilled out onto the ground. But even more bizarrely, it looked like it wasn't totally haphazard. It looked like someone had intentionally kind of sifted through the boxes and taken out random objects and put them into strange piles that didn't make any sense. The objects were not alike. Or they had taken the objects and kind of stood them up in these strange arrangements, almost like they were being laid out for a garage sale. And so Brittany immediately just turns around and she leaves the garage. She goes to the other side of the house and she gets her husband. She brings James back and he looks inside. He's just as shocked as she is. And the two of them immediately just go into the garage and begin looking through all of the stuff to see if anything is missing. Now, it was pretty difficult to tell if something had been stolen, but they did have some valuable stuff that was in those boxes that had been pulled out and was lying on the ground and that wasn't missing. And so that was a pretty good indication to James and Brittany that this wasn't a robbery. And so the only other thing they could think of would be that their two young sons must have come in here and been goofing around and pulled the boxes over. And so this is their doing. But when the parents confronted the two young sons, they said they didn't do it. Brittany believed them, but James didn't necessarily. He thought they could be lying about it, and if they were telling the truth, then, you know, maybe one of their pets had gotten into the garage and caused all this chaos. They had purchased a dog when they got to Hawaii, so they had a cat and a dog. And so James was just being very dismissive of this whole garage incident and not taking seriously the fact that Brittany was really spooked by this. But regardless of how the family members felt about the garage incident, they all just kind of moved on because there really wasn't anything to do except pick the garage up and continue on. About a week after the garage incident, 
Brittany was home alone one morning, getting ready. She was sitting in the master bedroom in front of her mirror, and she was applying eyeliner, and she had a YouTube video playing some makeup tutorials. And as she's applying the makeup, she suddenly hears the front door downstairs slam shut. She almost pokes her eye out with her eyeliner. She's so startled by the sound of it. And she immediately pauses her YouTube video and she calls out for James and her sons, believing they must be home and somebody slammed the door. But when she calls out, she gets no response. Now, immediately, Brittany is going through all of these different rationalizations like, okay, maybe James and the boys opened the door, they got something or put something in the house, they slammed it and they left. And so that's why they didn't hear me call their name. But she couldn't help but feel like something was wrong. She's also thinking about the garage incident, which really never left her. She pretended like she had moved on, but really she hadn't. And so she stands up and she begins walking towards the open door that led out into the hallway. And then from the master bedroom, if you were looking out into the second floor hallway, it basically went straight across to another door. That was her son's bedroom. And in between these two doors, basically halfway down the second floor hallway, to the left was a flight of stairs that went straight down to the first floor. And when you reached the bottom of those steps, right in front of you would be the front door, the door that had slammed. And so Brittany reaches the threshold of the master bedroom. She's looking out into the second floor hallway. She doesn't see anyone. And so she yells out again for James and for her sons. But again, there's silence. So she takes a deep breath and she begins walking down the second floor hallway and she makes it halfway. She turns left and she gets onto the stairs. And as she's walking down these steps, the house is eerily quiet and she's got this growing sense of dread inside of her and she's kind of quietly calling out for James and her sons, but it's totally quiet. And she gets to the foot of the stairs. She kind of scans around her. She doesn't see anyone. And then she walks to the front door. She flings it open, expecting, hoping to see James's car in the driveway or just see some indication that her husband or her sons had been there or were there. But when she opened that door, James's car was not there. There was no sign of anybody in the area. It was just her. And so with her heart racing, she shut the door, she locked it, and then she walked all around the first floor, checking every window, checking every door, making sure everything was locked. She went upstairs, she did the same thing, checking every room, every closet. There was no one in the house with her. She was sure of it. And so she went back to her room thinking to herself, what do I make of that? How do I reconcile the fact that I clearly heard the front door slam, but no one's here? And so Brittany would eventually leave the house and go about her day. And then that evening, she would come back home and her husband and her sons would be there. And at some point, she would bring up the slamming door to her husband to get a sense of, you know, could that have been him? And he would tell her that, no, he had not come by the house that day, so that could not have been him. But he assured his wife, don't worry, you probably just unlocked the door and a draft came through and slammed the door. You got nothing to worry about. But Brittany would tell her husband that that was just not possible that she always shut the door. She always shut and locked the door. So the idea that she had forgotten to lock it and had left it partially ajar enough to the point that a draft could slam it the way it did, it just didn't make any sense. But just like the garage incident, James was very dismissive and just told his wife, you're being super paranoid. You have nothing to worry about. It's just a door. Don't worry about it. But this really upset Brittany and she got mad at James and before long the two were just totally fighting about it and by the time they actually laid their heads down on their pillows that night they weren't even speaking and so the couple that night they fall asleep angrily and then in the middle of the night Brittany wakes up suddenly she doesn't know why she's woken up but she's kind of looking around the room it's totally silent and she's trying to get her bearings and as she's sitting there she hears downstairs not a slamming door but the sound of a door opening and then shutting 
Immediately, she is on heightened alert. And instead of doing anything, she just kind of leans forward and listens really intently to make sure she really heard what she thought she just heard. And as she's sitting there listening, she can hear again another door downstairs, a different door opening and then shutting. And at this point, she begins to panic. She reaches over, she shakes James awake, and she tells him, I can hear someone opening and shutting doors downstairs. Now, James was not remotely thrilled to be having this conversation. He was still mad at his wife for being so paranoid about the door earlier. And so to be woken up in the middle of the night to his wife freaking out about more doors being open and shut, he was just really upset. And so he sits up, he's totally annoyed, and he's not ready to really take seriously anything Brittany is saying. And Brittany's picking up on this. And so finally, she just says, James, did you lock the front door before you went to bed? So James is like, yes, I locked the front door. I'm telling you, you're hearing things. There's nothing going on in this house. But Brittany was not convinced. And she says, you know what? You can think nothing's going on, but I'm going downstairs to make sure no one is in this house. And so Brittany would get out of her bed. She'd walk over to the open door that led into the second floor hallway. And as soon as she looked out, she didn't see anything. She didn't hear anything. And so very slowly, she began walking down the second floor hallway until she reached the top of the stairs. And at that point, she turned and looked downstairs into the pitch black first floor. She was terrified, but she knew she had to go down there to make sure her family was safe. And so down the stairs she went, and when she got to the bottom of the stairs, she saw right away the front door was unlocked. Brittany's thinking, you know, why would my husband tell me he locked the door if it's not locked? And so then Brittany's thinking, okay, my sons must have gotten out of bed and they must have unlocked the door. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing these doors opening and shutting because my sons are down here somewhere and they're the ones causing all this noise. And so Brittany kind of felt relieved for a second because this seemed like what must be going on. But after locking the front door and then searching the whole first floor, she didn't find her sons. And then when she went upstairs again and went into her boy's room, she found both of them were fast asleep in their beds. And when she shook them awake, they showed no sign of having been awake recently. They were totally groggy and could not have been running around the house just minutes earlier. And so now Brittany is terrified. She tucks her boys back in and she tells them, you know, everything is fine. But then she hustles back over to the master bedroom with her husband. And she tells James, the front door was unlocked and our sons were fast asleep. It couldn't have been them. But James continues to be very dismissive, telling his wife, you are totally overreacting. You're being paranoid. You're just hearing the sound of those doors because you're scared. There isn't any doors slamming in the house. And as he's saying this, their back sliding door downstairs that led to their backyard suddenly slammed open and then slammed shut. And as soon as this happened, James, who had been so dismissive and totally skeptical, he instantly changed. And he looked at his wife and he said, you stay right here. And he jumped out of his bed and he ran out of the bedroom. A few minutes later, he would come back into the master bedroom and he would tell his wife that, yeah, you know, the back door, it was unlocked, but it was shut. You know, I'm sure you just forgot to lock it. And the same draft that is opening and shutting doors, you know, probably opened and shut the back door too. So we got nothing to worry about. You know, the house is locked right now. Let's just get in bed and go to sleep. And at this, Brittany is incredulous. And she says to her husband, you gotta be kidding me. There is something weird happening in our house. Doors are opening and shutting. We had that thing with the garage. You can't act like nothing is happening. And this, in turn, turned into a big fight. And so before long, the parents weren't even talking about who opened and shut the doors downstairs. They were just fighting with each other. And then eventually, they were just so tired that they gave up and they both went to sleep. For the next few weeks, nothing happened inside of the house. 
Brittany, though, continued to obsess over who or what had been causing those doors to open and shut, and then also, you know, what happened in the garage, what caused all that stuff to fall out and wind up in these strange arrangements. Meanwhile, James continued to be unbelievably dismissive and did not want to talk about the potential for something strange happening in their house. But something strange would happen to just James without Brittany around, and that would be the first time that he would get really spooked. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news. We just launched a brand new Strange, Dark, and Mysterious podcast called Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries. And as the name suggests, it's a show about medical mysteries, a genre that many fans have been asking us to dive into for years, and we finally decided to take the plunge, and the show is awesome. In this free weekly show, we explore bizarre, unheard of diseases, strange medical mishaps, unexplainable deaths, and everything in between. Each story is totally true and totally terrifying. Go follow Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're a Prime member, you can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. In May of 1980, near Anaheim, California, Dorothy Jane Scott noticed her friend had an inflamed red wound on his arm, and he seemed really unwell. So she wound up taking him to the hospital right away so he could get treatment. While Dorothy's friend waited for his prescription, Dorothy went to grab her car to pick him up at the exit. But she would never be seen alive again, leaving us to wonder, decades later, what really happened to Dorothy Jane Scott. From Wondery, Generation Y is a podcast that covers notable true crime cases like this one and so many more. Every week, hosts Aaron and Justin sit down to discuss a new case covering every angle and theory, walking through the forensic evidence, and interviewing those close to the case to try and discover what really happened. And with over 450 episodes, there's a case for every true crime listener. Follow the Generation Y podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. It was a couple of weeks after the nighttime door slamming incident, and James, he was alone at his house, it's the middle of the day, and he decided he would just play the piano. And so he moved to his piano in the living room, which is on the first floor. He sat down and he began playing. And then after a little while, he started to feel like he was being watched. And it got to the point where it was so uncomfortable, he had to stop playing and actually look around and make sure he really was alone. And when he did that, he noticed out the window to his right, which led into the side yard, that there was clearly a figure standing in the window outside looking in with its arms down. But there was a curtain over the window, and so all he could see was this shadow figure standing at the window. And so James is immediately startled, and as soon as he reacted to this figure, the figure suddenly starts moving towards the back of the house. And so James, he gets up and he rushes over to another window that looked into the backyard, and he looks outside, and there's no one there. And then he goes back to the window he originally saw the figure in, he opens it up, there's no one there. And so James would ultimately tell himself that, okay, that must have just been some nosy neighbor that heard the music, they came over, and they noticed that maybe I saw them and they ran off before I could see them. And so that's what it was. But deep down, what he saw in the window really shook him up. However, it would be the blanket incident that would finally push James to go from being dismissive and skeptical to admitting to his wife, we got a problem. 
It was not long after James spotted that dark figure outside of the window when he and his wife and his two kids decided they would head out to a movie theater to catch a movie. And so as they're getting ready to go, Brittany would say that she wanted to bring along a particular blanket that the whole family loved to use when they were sitting on the couch. She was going to bring that blanket with her to the movie theater to kind of cuddle up under for the movie. And so she would make her way into the living room and she would see the blanket was missing. It was not on the couch where it normally was. And so she would ask her husband and her sons if they had any idea where it was. And they would say, no, we haven't touched it. She would look all over the place under the couch in the living room. She went upstairs. She couldn't find it. And so finally, they just left without the blanket. But when they came back that evening, there on the couch, folded up neatly, was this blanket. Everybody knew that blanket had not been there when they left. So how did it get there? For the next few weeks, the parents did their best to put on a brave face and tell their kids that everything was okay. But the parents and the kids were all terrified to be in that house. And that's because at night, the doors continued to open and shut. Their dog periodically would just start barking in the middle of the night for no apparent reason, and they would all get this awful sense that they were being watched all the time in their house. And so finally, by September of that year, the parents decided, we just have to get out of this house. We cannot be here. We need to take a break. And so they packed up their stuff and they flew to mainland America, where they stayed with some family for a week. On September 20th, they hopped back on a plane and they flew back to Honolulu. And as they're driving from the airport to their house, Brittany and James were just kind of secretly hoping that, you know, whatever weirdness was happening in their house would just magically stop once they returned. But as soon as James turned onto their street and they could see their house, they knew that was not going to be the case. Because as they began driving up their road, they could see James's very nice road bike was laying on their driveway. And so Brittany, she turned to her husband, and even though she knew the answer, she said, James, were you riding your bike before we left? And James, who doesn't even look at his wife, just shakes his head. No, he wasn't. And so James drives all the way down the road. He turns into their driveway, which is lined up right with the front of the garage door. And after James parks the car, he hits the garage door opener button. And so as James is sitting in the driver's seat, Brittany's right next to him, the kids are in back, they're watching as this door is raising right in front of them. And as soon as they can see into the garage, they see everything in their garage has just been completely trashed. Things are not just dumped out, but things have been ripped apart and shredded as if a wild animal had been let loose inside of the garage. James immediately said to his wife, we've been robbed. And then he hopped out of the car and then turned and told his kids, you stay in the car, do not get out. And James, he went over to the side of the house and got a sledgehammer for protection and made his way to the front door. Meanwhile, Brittany would be on the phone with 911 to report that someone had broken into their house. A few minutes later, James was inside of his house and he saw the entirety of his house was just like the garage. It had been completely ripped to shreds. But amidst the chaos were those kind of strange piles of random objects, much like they had seen in that first garage incident where the things inside of the boxes had been stacked in kind of strange piles and arrangements. And so James is looking around his first floor and he's seeing stacks of coasters and books and electronics. But what really got James's attention was that on various surfaces, there were these medical vials of drugs or chemicals that were placed all over the place. And he knew that was not his family's. Someone had brought those vials into this house. 
James would make his way up the stairs to the second floor landing, and right away he could tell, you know, the upstairs had all the hallmarks of being destroyed as much as the first floor. But when he went left and went into his boy's room, he saw that room was pristine. In fact, it had been cleaned. The boys' laundry was neatly folded on one side of the room, their beds were perfectly made with military precision, and all of their toys and different things that were normally all over the floor were neatly put away in the places they should go. And so James would turn around and leave his boys' room in absolute astonishment, and he would walk across the second floor hallway into the master bedroom. And what he would find in there would make an already terrible situation much, much worse. The master bedroom was destroyed like the majority of the house and garage, except the top of their bed was not covered in junk. Instead, on their bed was this towel that had been neatly laid out, almost like a tablecloth. And laying on this towel, neatly spaced apart, kind of perfectly arranged, were a bunch of knives. And then next to the knives, still on the towel, was a laptop that the Campbell family owned, but they didn't use it. It did work, but it just kind of sat in the master bedroom. And this laptop was sitting on this towel, and it was open, but the screen had turned off. And so by this point, Brittany had come upstairs. And so Brittany and James, they walk over in horror to this layout on their bed, and they click the keys on the keyboard of their laptop, and it illuminates the screen and shows whatever was being worked on last. And it's this long, long Word document that neither of them made. They scrolled to the top of this document, and the document was titled The Omnivore Trials, and then below that it said A Rehabilitation for Rat-like People. And then below that, the entire document was kind of like a diary. It was a whole bunch of observations about so-called specimens, and these specimens were very clearly the Campbell family. And these observations made about the Campbell family were very intimate. In fact, the only way to garner these observations were if you were watching the Campbell family right up close, almost on an hourly basis for days, weeks, months at a time. These observations ranged from what time the Campbell family liked to watch TV, to what James and Brittany talked about behind closed doors in their bedroom, including their struggle to have a child, something they were not talking about to their family. But in this document, the author of the Omnivore Trials would talk about how the creature, which was referencing Brittany, needed to stop trying to have another baby and instead focus on the children she already had. Toward the end of this really lengthy document, the author of the Omnivore Trials came to a shocking conclusion that in order to rehabilitate these rat-like people, the Campbells, the author would have to perform several surgeries on the specimens. These surgeries were hand amputations and gender reassignment surgeries. And then after this conclusion, there was another note that detailed all the different surgeon tools the author would need to perform these surgeries, as well as a list of drugs and chemicals they would need in order to sedate these specimens before they performed these surgeries. And so after James and Brittany see this, they realize that those knives laying out on the towel were for them. Those were the knives that were going to be used for the surgeries. And all those weird vials, those medical vials they saw all downstairs, those were likely the drugs that would be used to sedate them so they could go under the knife. 15 minutes before James and Brittany went into their house and discovered the knives and the medical vials and the laptop, 
James grabbed that sledgehammer and walked to the front door while his wife called 911. And so James, he gets to the front door, he puts his key into the lock, he unlocks it, and with the sledgehammer in one hand, he attempts to push the door open. But despite the door being unlocked, he can't open it. There's resistance behind the door. And so James kind of gets down and he presses as hard as he can into the door with his shoulder until finally it opens up just a crack and James can see into the house. And so James, as he's pressing the door barely open, he's staring into this crack trying to make out what's going on inside of his house. And then suddenly a set of eyes meet his from behind the door. And before James can do anything, this man that is standing inside of his house says to James, this is not your house, and then proceeds to push the door shut on James. James, in an adrenaline-fueled fury, smashed the door open, grabbed this guy, and yanked him out of the house and threw him onto the front yard. And then James, with his sledgehammer, would stand in front of this guy between him and his kids and his wife, and he would say, if you go anywhere, I'm going to have to attack you with this. But the intruder, this guy, whose name was Ezekiel Zayas, he was a 23-year-old young man, he would just stand on the Campbell's property, staring directly at James, unblinking. And then, a couple of minutes later, the police would show up, and Ezekiel would not put up any fight, he would be arrested, and he would be taken away. It was after he was gone that James and his wife would actually go into their house, and they would see the state it was in, and they would go upstairs, and they would discover the knives and the laptop. It would turn out, months earlier, Ezekiel had apparently found a way to sneak in and out of the Campbell's property. And so around the time they had moved in, Ezekiel was living there as well. He was mostly living in the crawl space above the second floor bathroom. And then whenever he was able to, Ezekiel would climb down out of this crawl space and he would go and observe the Campbells. And this was not just at night. Based on some of the observations inside of Ezekiel's Omnivore Trials document, clearly he was watching the family in the middle of the day too. Also, based on these observations in this document, it was pretty clear that Ezekiel was getting ready to actually carry out these surgeries on the Campbell family. Meaning, the Campbell's decision to go on vacation when they did could very well have saved their lives. And if there was any question as to whether Ezekiel could have actually carried out that level of physical harm on another human being by carrying out those surgeries, well, after he was arrested for what he did to the Campbells, while he was in jail, he beat his cellmate to death, allegedly. Although a guard literally walked in and saw Ezekiel punching and kicking and beating this guy, and then he died. But technically the trial is not over, so it's allegedly. Ezekiel is currently in a state hospital, and they are trying to determine if he is fit to stand trial for what he did to the Campbells and for what he did to his cellmate. Even though it might be self-explanatory at this point in the video, it's worth pointing out that we have no idea what Ezekiel's motives were for why he did the things he did to the Campbell family or what he was looking to achieve with the so-called omnivore trials. We also don't know why he allegedly killed his cellmate. As for the Campbells, this whole experience was so traumatic that they did not stay at their Hawaii house. They moved, and as of today, their whereabouts are unknown. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Ballin podcast. If you got something out of this episode and you haven't done this already, when the Amazon Music Follow button calls your restaurant to place a very long and complicated order for delivery, wait until they're totally finished before telling them their house is out of your delivery range. 
This podcast airs every Monday and Thursday morning, but in the meantime, you can always watch one of the hundreds of stories we have posted on our main YouTube channel, which is just called Mr. Ballin. Consider donating to our charity. It's called the Mr. Ballin Foundation, and it provides support to victims of violent crime, as well as the victims' families. Monthly donors to the Mr. Ballin Foundation Honor Them Society will receive free gifts and exclusive invites to special live events. Go to mrballin.foundation and click Get Involved to join the Honor Them Society today. If you want to get in touch with me, please follow me on any major social media platform and then send me a direct message. My username is just at mrballin, and I really do read the majority of my DMs. Lastly, we have some really cool merchandise, so head on over to shopmrballin.com to have a look. So, that's going to do it. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, see ya. Hey, Prime members, you can binge eight new episodes of the Mr. Ballin podcast one month early and all episodes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. And before you go, please tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.